Welcome to the Female Millennial Entrepreneur Podcast, the show by and for female millennial entrepreneurs who are building and running thriving, successful businesses while living life to the fullest. I'm your host, Alessandra Polina. I'm so happy to have Elizabeth Hallgren here today. She's the co-founder and CEO of Mission Direct Primary Care, which is a really interesting sounding healthcare facility um, in her city. And I can't wait to hear more about it. And hopefully I just explained it sort of (laughs) in the correct terms. But Elizabeth, I'm so happy to have you here. And I can't wait for you to tell us more about what this is all about. Thank you, Alessandra. I'm really happy to be speaking with you too. Entrepreneurship and female entrepreneurship in general is something I've always wanted to support and um, women empowering how they spend their time in the trajectory of their careers. So I'm happy to be here and talking to you and your audience. Awesome. Yeah. And I think your business sounded so interesting to me when I first saw it. And I think, and so there were like many reasons that I wanted to have you on the show. First, because your business itself sounds pretty unique. And I want to hear all about like how you went about starting that, like where that came from and what has gone into that. And I also think that you have so much knowledge and information that you can probably share with all the listeners in terms of what are some of these different options for, you know, healthcare and for taking care of ourselves that maybe we don't even know about or don't know there are options like this out there. So I want to hear about all of that. But let's start with how you got started. Tell us a little bit more of the background of the, of the actual business. Like what is it that you do and how did you start it? So Mission Direct Primary Care is a fundamentally at its roots, a membership-based family medicine clinic um, located in Omaha, Nebraska. Um, What that means is that we do not take or bill health insurance. We work with our patients based on a monthly membership fee and that we work really hard to offer the highest quality primary care um, while practicing cost containment. And the reason um, that we decided to start this business is because healthcare is broken right now and it's really not working for anybody. And we really wanted to start to be part of the solution and start to bring back those relationships between doctors and patients, long-term relationships, which are shown to keep people healthier and have better health outcomes. If you have a primary care doctor that you see regularly and also to kind of lift the veil on the cost of primary care, which is 80 to 90% of what you see your doctor for. Mm -hmm. And um, so why we decided to go into business is my background is in entrepreneurship. I have been faculty um, with the University of Iowa in their entrepreneurship program, and then also have had a marketing consulting company for years where I really specialized in healthcare marketing. Um, And my husband is a family practice um, physician, and he took an academic interest in this model. It's been around for about 10 years, and we are not the only practice that uses this model. But he was a military physician and um, took an interest in the model just as a, as a care delivery model and as a way to put that doctor-patient relationship, more of an academic interest because he was active duty at the time, and started watching the model around 2015. And when he retired in 2017, he took a, it's his first job out of the military in a practice in Colorado that used this model. And after two years of practice, loved it. And um, I continued, you know, my own consulting practice, but we were kind of um, itching to do our own thing and to bring it back to Omaha, which is where we consider home. 
And so we made the decision about this time last year to um, leave that practice and for me to leave my consulting practice and for us to go into business together. It just really felt like we had uh, really complementary skill sets. You know, it was the actual just sitting on the back porch, drinking wine, talking about where we wanted our life to go. And we had that moment of where we looked at each other where we realized we had very common professional goals. I've always wanted to play on a bigger stage um, with my own business ownership and entrepreneurship. And um, so we decided to take the jump and go for it. <laughs> and we opened in July of this year. Okay. So it's still pretty new. Very new. Mm-hmm. So, and so what has changed so far since you first opened? Like, have you already been growing? Have you, are, are you planning to bring on like more physicians or keep it? I don't know. Is it just mostly he's the physician and you're running, kind of running the business? How does so, that like work behind the scenes? Right now we're a team of three. Um, so it's, uh, I am the business side of the house um, in the CEO role. He is in the chief medical officer role. And then we have a nurse practitioner that is a fellow veteran who's amazing um, that works with us. And we are planning to grow. Our goal is definitely to grow to, um, you know, five or six physician practice. And um, we are working those growth plans and really just working on educating uh, the markets about what we do. That's a really big challenge. And, uh, you know, you lay your plans out on paper and then you go into the ring and get punched in the face. Uh, (laughs) I think we can all say that about our businesses. (laughs) I like that, yes. (laughs) So we are um, getting punched in the face and standing back up every day and and heading back out there. (laughs) Yeah, so do you find, I mean are you kind of like the only ones offering this type of this type of model in your area or is it something that did exist a little like are does anyone have any idea like what it is and how it works are you having to kind of start at square one to try to educate people before they can become customers or clients or or whatever we are um we are not the only ones in this market um we however that use direct primary care as a payment model. There are other people who are doing that, but they haven't changed the way that they're offering care, meaning um, that they basically are a combined insurance-based and um, and offering a few direct primary care memberships just as an alternative payment model, but not really changing the way that it operates. So you, there's, there's still kind of 20-minute appointments and, um, you know, in that insurance-based mindset. We are the only practice in our market that has fully broken free of um, health insurance and that this is the only way that we see patients. Mm -hmm. And it really informs everything that we do because basically every patient appointment is a discussion about not only what is the best um, medical path forward for you, but then how are we going to deliver that? And let's talk about the cost of that and empower you as the consumer to decide how you're going to move forward in terms of the cost. And that's a that's just a much different appointment than most people will get. You know, for example, a real simple example of that is anytime a prescription is written in our clinic, we um, ask ask the patient if they have a, a pharmacy benefit on their insurance plan, and then we have them look it up on a tool like GoodRx and find the cash based price and and kind of compare the difference and find the best way to purchase that um, prescription. And that doesn't typically happen in in other practices really taking the time to like figure out what's best for people and what actually makes the most sense for them. So most people do have, they have some kind of insurance as well, but they're not really using it for your services. Absolutely. Yep. Almost all, I would say probably 90, 90% or more of our patients have um, some type of health coverage. 
Interesting. So, um, well, I want to go back first. I want to like ask more about the logistics of how it actually works, but I want to also, I just still want to hear more about like how you've been building the business so far before we move on to that. So I'm curious, like, I mean, it sounds like it's sort of a great model and (laughs) kind of unique, but also like very good. And you must get word of mouth. Like when somebody comes in, it seems like they would probably refer you to their family and friends and be like, you need to go here and do this because it's so much better than you know, alternatives or what they were otherwise using. Do you find that that's been big or have you found any other like unique ways to get people through the door for the first time if they aren't super familiar with the whole model? So we are taking any and every opportunity to just educate people. And so that takes a lot of different um, tactics. So speak to community groups as much as we possibly can. Mm. We are really active in the business networking community. Um, we utilize uh, social media to its full extent. So um, Facebook lives every Thursday at 1215, oh, where wow. we really focus on um, advocacy, basically educating people to be better healthcare consumers, regardless of where they access their care. That's really what personally drives me is that I just want to equip people to make good decisions because I think once we as the consumers start asking harder questions of our healthcare providers and our healthcare systems, they will have to respond to that and then the system will start to heal itself. So, you know, and have a very active blog and like I said, social media and just kind of telling the story, but we also have our patients quickly turn into our advocates and, and that word of mouth you know, it's a strong tool in growing our practice as well. Yeah, I bet it is. Cool. Yeah, it sounds like you're doing all kinds of things. And lots of busy. <laughs> and what's it like to run the business with your husband? Has that been as good as you've imagined? Has it been fun or do you guys have, is it, I mean, it sounds like you're probably kind of like on opposite ends of like what you're dealing with day to day, but. He, um, so we looked at doing this actually when he initially retired from the Air Force. And I started doing the feasibility studies and doing market analysis and doing all of the things that MBAs do. And um, he wasn't, he came out of the air, uh, out of the air force, having been a leader and having a whole lot of people that reported to him. And um, it was pretty apparent to me two years ago that, and I, in my career was the consultant and the expert and the you know faculty member, it was very apparent to me two years ago that that was not the time for us to go into business together, um, that we needed to kind of readjust. We were empty nesters for the first time. Um, mm-hmm. Our youngest graduated from high school at the same time that he retired. And um, so we put it on, and that's, we put it on pause, but it had always been kind of an idea. And then as he worked in um, private practice and um, kind of got some world experience outside of being the person that was in control of every room he walked into. And then as I kind of just got, he saw how I worked and um, in the, my expertise as well through that process, because he just had more time around me during work hours. <laughs> and um, so started to, we kind of just started to have an appreciation for each other. And, um, but we had a lot of long conversations about whose lane was whose, um, how we were going to resolve conflicts and how we were going to leave work at the office and um, yeah. also built some goalposts into, you know, where we were going to stop and um, celebrate successes or examine failures or things that weren't working for either one of us and have held pretty um, tight to that. So 
we've been married a long time and so and through a lot of you know military marriages are hard and so we had a pretty good set of tools to bring to this once we were ready to so it's going it's going great and i he's my favorite person and i love working with him oh. now i don't think two years ago i would have liked it oh yeah <laughs> A lot can change in just two years. <laughs> well, just life experience changes and kind of deprogramming from being in the military for 30 years. Yeah, <laughs> so, oh my gosh. So, wow. Well, yeah, it sounds like, it sounds like it's working. That's a really good thing. What do you guys do to like celebrate? Like what's one thing you've done to celebrate like a milestone or anything worth celebrating? So um, when we signed on our first business, we actually, um, you know, went out to dinner and had a big, you know, champagne and celebrated like you celebrate most wins and it was really nice it was very fun to just to do that yeah yeah so I'm I want to now I want to hear more about like how it works <laughs> like if somebody's coming in for a service because I think that's one of the it's so tricky as an entrepreneur, I think, or a business owner of any kind. Like I, I think so m- one of the things that holds people back a lot, I guess, from even like getting started in something for themselves is the idea of like not having those traditional benefits from a job, like not having the option to sign up for health insurance easily through your job or whatever. And it can be something that really holds you back because it feels so like hard and complicated to figure out and like, what are the best options? So I want to hear like a little bit more about like how it works. I mean, sure. the membership. So I assume it's like you kind of pay every month, like tell us a little bit about how that actually works and like how people can use it, especially as entrepreneurs. Yeah. Like what, what is it? Cause as you said, like there are other similar companies that offer similar types of structure around the country, probably. So people might be able to yeah. look at something similar for themselves. So direct primary care is the model um, that, that if you were to want to Google and learn more, it's direct primary care. And basically the way that it works is that members pay a monthly membership fee and they vary by market. Ours are super transparent and almost everybody is a direct primary care practice, just post them transparently on their website. But um, for example, ours is 99 for the first adult in the family, 79 for the second, and then 39 per kid with mm-hmm. a 299 max. So um, kids three, four, five, and six, uh, you get it just, you know, you get free. So <laughs> um, we like large families here in the Midwest. Um, and so it's super transparent. And what that affords you as a member is it includes all of your doctor's visits and all of the care that you receive here in the practice. So that includes your wellness exams, um, your annual blood test, pap smears is indicated for women. It includes, um, you know, any sick care visits, injuries, illnesses. Um, We can do stitches in the clinic, manage minor breaks. We can do in-office procedures like joint injections or mole removals or, you know, freezing off warts. Um, depending on the skill set of the practice, you know, here what we we can do a full range of contraceptive procedures, family planning, from IUDs and um, and the underskin tools to also vasectomies for men, and so um, and that is also included in your membership. And basically, it is just all of what you would see your full scope family practice clinic for is what's covered in your membership. And we do not charge per visit fees or co-pays at all. That $99 for the individual is the care that that individual receives. Um, It is works really well for just 
managing your health as a person. 80 to 90% of what you see a doctor for is for your primary care needs. The thing that we also, that I think is the best value addition is that we do educate people about services outside of our clinic and how to advocate to get cash pricing or to make sure that they're staying in their network if, they, if they're going to use their insurance for that to reduce their overall cost and how to really be good consumers of, um, of healthcare and what questions to ask and, and how to empower themselves around that. I think that that's a, a big part of the value that we offer as well. Yeah, totally. It sounds like you offer like pretty much anything you would need. I mean, I know you can't say that, but it seems no. like you just like unless you need like major surgery, it's like you've got it covered. Um, and there's special, you know. So there's times that you need to see a specialist, right? Okay. And um, you know, but the thing about having a good relationship with a full scope family medicine or primary care provider is that they can, you know, they can do all of the legwork. And really tee you up so that when you go to that specialist consultant visit, that consultant can look at your the tests that have been run and look at your history and the report from your family physician and then make a really effective consult for you. And so that reduces the number of times you have to see them, which reduces your cost because that would be outside of the scope of our of your membership. So it sounds like. And I mean, this is just me talking. I have no idea, but it sounds, <laughs> and you don't have to, you don't have to say one way or the other, but what it sounds like is like, you could just do, you could sign up for like basically the cheapest insurance insurance, like maybe something that's the lowest monthly payment, but the highest deductible or something, because you're hardly ever going to have to go and you just plan to pay out of pocket if you have to use that, but then also pay for this. So it's like, you've got the $99 or whatever a month for this and then the cheapest monthly insurance you can find basically that will just kick in if you need anything specialized, you know, a CS specialist or anything out of the ordinary kind of, and really keep our costs down. Yep. And that's what I really advocate for. And a lot of the work that I do in my advocacy role is helping families figure that out. So in 2018, there was a repeal of the um, individual mandate penalty and that tax reform um, that went through federally. And what that did was it really took the handcuffs off of the type of insurance products that could be um, sold on the individual market. Prior to that, they really had to be full scope, you know, full soup to nuts insurance policies, including all of your primary care needs. But now since that um, has gone into to play, it's basically there's a lot more alternatives where you can just get a major medical policy that will cover you if you have a bad diagnosis, like a cancer diagnosis or an accident or a hospitalization, you know, it'll cover you um, for those, those major medical events that happen in your life. And then that paired with a direct primary care membership is frequently, you know, half of what it would cost for a um, entrepreneur to get a policy with no subsidies on the, um, on the ACA or the Obamacare exchange. And, but it's better, even though it's cheaper because that direct primary care membership includes all of your primary care. So you're actually getting all of those doctor's visits are already paid for budgeted for through your membership, um, which is not the case when you get a high deductible plan, um, whether it's on the ACA or from somewhere else. But um, it's really, there's a lot of options available to people now who are on their own for health insurance and it's just kind of opened up the market. Yeah, it seems like it. And it just feels like such a more 
personal kind of exchange in a way. Like, I don't know. I just, I feel like I hardly ever go to the doctor because like, I'm pretty healthy, I guess. And, you know, I just go for like a yearly checkup, but like, I feel like I don't even know my doctor. I feel like the doctor at the clinic that I've gone to actually like left recently. And I ended up having to just randomly sign up with like a different one. Cause that's the only place covered by my insurance. And it's just also like random and weird. And I never even like know who I'm seeing, or it doesn't seem like they ever know what's going on. It just feels like, I mean, and maybe that's because yours is such a family owned type of situation. And I'm sure maybe they're not all like that, but it just feels like it would be like such a more positive experience, I guess. Yeah, it is. And the, and they are all independently owned. Um, so there's over a thousand across the country. And um, direct primary care is a pushback by these physicians, uh, primary care and family physicians largely, that they want out of the system where they are just an anonymous provider cog in the big healthcare industrial wheel. And so they are very um, personal practices because people are starting them because they want to do it differently. I kind of jokingly say, and you'll see on our social media on um, May the 4th, that we are the rebellion, (laughs) you know, this tiny little army of a thousand practices across the country and um, that we are, you know, really working hard to put the patient back in the center of care and that relationship with their doctor that has just been kind of engineered out of the current healthcare system. Yeah. Yeah. And I want to say just because, I mean, I'm in Boston and I know some people who listen to this are, and I think the reason actually that that you kind of stood out when you reached out about, about coming on here was because I had just seen something about the direct care, about some like this type of, and I keep almost saying the word insurance, which is not the thing, but a direct, a direct care system, like a couple weeks before I saw anything from you. And I had just looked into it and I was like, this, it sounds too good to be true, but it sounds very interesting. And I had just looked into it and I'm pretty sure there is a place in Boston that does it. So I'm definitely going to look into it more. And I feel like if anybody listening here is in Boston, look into it. And obviously it's not only in major cities too, because you're in Omaha, Nebraska, which it sounds like, you know, they're everywhere. It's not yeah. just like a <laughs> little plug for Omaha. We are over 600,000. I was just going to say, maybe is it technically a major city? I don't know. <laughs> We're a major city, um, but there's also practices in Kearney, Nebraska and um, Lincoln, Nebraska, you know, so other cities all over the place, Wichita, Kansas there, it is across the country, but and I imagine it's only going to grow. Like it's, it sounds like something people are going to, like that people are getting behind. And so I imagine people will want to do it more and more. There must be a lot of physicians who would rather work in a system like that. Yeah. An interesting thing has happened since we've opened our practice is that on a couple of occasions we've had, so there's two family medicine residencies here in town and we've had people who are coming to town to med students coming to town to interview at those practices who have called us and wanted to come see the practice because this is how they're interested in practicing medicine, because this is the reason they're going into family medicine is because they actually want to take care of people and families, you know, from birth until they, until they leave us here. So I do think it is appealing to physicians and it really is. um, We get such great feedback from our patients and, and develop such personal relationships with them you know, to have a doctor that you can call after hours when your child spikes a fever and you're worried as a mother and that that doctor will call you back, even if it's, you know, Saturday after, Saturday evening and just, you know, talk through that problem with you. That's huge. Yeah. And that's kind of what being cared for looks like. And that not, um, you know, 
being told to go to the urgent care where you, where you will see a provider that you'll never see again. Right. And who doesn't know you or your child. And so that's the kind of service that we're offering here. And um, the kind of care that the doctors were attracting want to want to practice. Yeah. And I feel like, I just feel like, especially like millennials and like kind of probably any younger generation, like we're so, we like love like a membership based (laughs) anything, like anything where it's like, okay, I can pay per month. And I don't know, it just feels like it makes, it makes a lot of sense to us and feels just like the, the way that things are going, like to have a little more control, have that a little more personalization, have um, basically a monthly like subscription fee. Like I feel like that's what everything in our life is turning into now. So people are like kind of responsive to that. Well, it allows you to budget, right? Right now, if you go to the doctor, you don't know what it's going to cost and you don't know what the big surprising bill at the end is going to be based on where you are in your deductible. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you might know that an office visit is $150 if you call and ask, which is typically on average what they cost. And But what you don't know is what tests they're going to order or what additional screening they're going to code for. And then what that surprise bill to, that comes in your mail, you know, two to four weeks later is going to look like. And that's not any way to manage your budget. Mm-hmm. And um, with membership and subscription of any kind, it's real easy to know. You know that you're going to pay Verizon $206 a month and you're going to pay um, $256 for your family's membership at the doctor. And it just allows you to budget that out and, um, and have that predictable pricing. And then cost is never a barrier to seeking healthcare when you need it. I just read a statistic in the Wall Street Journal that said over 50% of Americans avoid going to the doctor because they don't know what it's going to cost. And uh, that's really not good for our communities or even our healthcare economic system. Because what's happening is things like um, right now, for the first time in 10 years, heart disease is up in people under 64. Oh, wow. And so, you know, and that's fully preventable and identifiable, um, you know, with regular health screenings. And people just aren't going because they don't know how much it's going to cost. And it shouldn't be a barrier. You should have that transparency to know what that relationship with your doctor is going to cost you. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I feel like I see that a lot too. Like, especially I'm in like some mom groups on Facebook, you know, and people are like, oh, this and that's like, like people just like ask people like this and that's happening. Or like, I see this thing on my kid and like, I don't know if it's worth going to get it checked out or whatever. And then people will, you know, offer all kinds of opinions, but it's like, cause mm-hmm. you want, obviously with, with kids, it's a little different. Cause I think people do err on the side of like going um, because you don't want to take any chances. But on the other hand, it's like, you can see how much people are trying not to you like trying not to go if it might be nothing, you know, but it's like, obviously you think it might be an issue and that's why you're worried. So it's such a like, yeah, to see people weighing whether it's going to be worth going to the doctor because you don't want to end up with, you know, paying $150 just to have somebody say, it's just a regular rash or something. Right. And that's, um, we shouldn't be asking our social media yeah. <laughs> um, people about healthcare problems. I mean, that just, that we shouldn't be put in a position as a, as a society to do that, you yeah. know, by having so many barriers erected between you and your healthcare, um, just, it doesn't make any sense. And so we're really trying to, to tear down those barriers. <laughs> well, I think that's awesome. 
I think I'm going to look into it and I think other people should look into it probably, especially if, cause again, I see people all the time being like, I don't know what health insurance to do, or it seems so expensive and I'm not going to get anything and, you know, not going to use it, but it's also complicated. And I think this is such a good option for people, especially if there's something like it around there, around where they live. So I encourage people to check it out. Is there anything else that you would want to share just like in how it works or a, I don't know, anything interesting about how you guys have been building the business or anything like that that you think that I didn't think to ask? I would like to talk about um, how if you are faced with shopping, with providing your own healthcare coverage, kind of how you can um, start that process Ooh, and yes. what areas that you really need to take a look at. Oh, yes. What a good thing to say. Tell us. <laughs> So we discussed earlier how um, health insurance, access to health insurance can be a barrier to people pursuing their own entrepreneurship journey mm-hmm. um, because they feel like they can't, aren't in a position to leave their employee benefits um, behind. And so what I like to kind of talk to people about when they're starting to think about how they might um, replace that benefit is that they should look at, um, they should pull apart their health needs. So... I like to think of it kind of as a puzzle that we need to put together. And now we have the option to to pull it apart um, since there's more things available on the market. So you need, um, you definitely need a product that will protect you from the risk of really high dollar health bills. And that's what insurance really is designed to be and what insurance is in every other industry. Um, You have insurance to protect your house if it's hit by a tornado, but not to change your um, radiation radiator filters, right? Yeah, that's such a good point. Yeah. <laughs> so let, let's start to look at your healthcare in that same in that same kind of light. So you need one tool that will kind of cover you from those low likelihood but high dollar health events. Mm-hmm. And then you also need a tool or a plan around accessing your healthcare, which is your primary care, 80 to 90% of what you go to the doctor for. And then you also need to look at your prescription drugs. And, um, and what are you taking and um, what are kind of the open market cost of that? What do you need to, to take care of your health that you're already taking? And um, by pulling those apart, you can really start to build back together a plan that fits your needs at the lowest possible cost. So, for example, if, um, I always like to talk to people about first, if they do, are dealing with the, a chronic illness. Um, what is that and what type of specialist visits and all of that? Um, because th- sometimes you have a health history that require that you will be, you know, really benefit from insurance, mm-hmm. you know, in, the, in its formal standard traditional meaning. Most of us, that's not the case, thank goodness, because we're generally healthy. And, but then also, is there a drug that you're, that you're taking that's um, you know, that on an ongoing basis. So are you, for example, what are you using for your birth control? Let's look up the cash pay price for that. Um, most is, is, you know, pretty reasonable and you can just budget for it. Um, but there's some things like the Nuva ring, which are very expensive without insurance. And there's not really a good way around that. Um, but some of the tools that I want to empower people with around shopping for their prescription drugs is GoodRx. It's an app on your phone that you can download and compare cash pay prices for any drug on the market. Wow. Um, if you're not seeing good prices on that, and usually I wouldn't want to say probably the vast majority of consumer drugs, you'll see a pretty good price on that through GoodRx. 
And what does that mean? Like you can buy it from, like, can you order it from there from different? No, all it does, it's, so prescription drugs are another whole crazy thing. Um, (laughs) But basically all it does is it finds the best price at your local pharmacies. So a drug could cost $130 at Walmart pharmacy and then $30 at the Walgreens based on their contracting. And, And so all it does is just find where is it cheapest for you locally so you know where to send that prescription and go get it filled. The variances in drug costs are crazy. Um, so I always want people to, no matter where you get your care, to always check that on GoodRx. Okay, I'm going to add a link to that in the show notes so people yeah. can download that app for sure. For sure. And then if you're still not seeing any uh, you know, good pricing around that, head over to the manufacturer's website for your drug. So NuvaRing is a birth control option that a lot of women like, and there's not really good um, cash pay options right now because it's a relatively new product. And, um, but on their, on the manufacturer's website, there is a coupon for people who they consider underinsured that's $50 off a month. And so you can start to look at that. Wow. And then also engage your doctor around this, ask them if there is a, um, more cost-effective way to, um, to get the same, you know, outcome. I, um, take a hormone replacement because I had my ovaries out for some precancerous stuff. Um, several years ago, and um, I have to take two hormones. There's a pill that is commonly prescribed that just has both those hormones in one pill. And that's a newer product and it's fairly expensive. But um, by asking my doctor to break that prescription apart into two separate pills, one for each hormone, um, I'm saving about $40 a month. Hmm. So, you know, engage your doctor around this and just ask the question, is there anything else that can be done around this prescription yeah. um, that can make it more cost effective? So just to, just to like recap that. So basically are you saying like, you know, you can go with like a, if, if you don't need too many prescriptions, like basically you can go with like a, a super cheap insurance and just basically be paying out of pocket for the prescriptions yep. because you're going to find, you know, these are ways to make them not be too expensive monthly and it's going to even out to be basically less if you're yep. doing it this way. Yeah. And just being real in touch with how you're, what healthcare dollars you're spending. And that's why I like to pull it apart and look at each little area. Mm-hmm. You know, if, and a lot of times prescriptions is what people are spending their money on. So like, yeah. let's look at that. How can we do reduce the cost in that area? And but it's then, so true because you think of prescriptions as like, oh, I need the insurance for the prescriptions. But really, if you're paying like $1,000 a month for insurance, like the prescriptions, it's, it might make more sense to find a really cheap insurance. And your prescriptions are probably not going to be like $1,000 yep. a month if you're paying out of pocket. Like we think of it for some reason as like the insurance is a necessity. Like you need to pay in for insurance, even if it's super expensive. But maybe you don't. Maybe, you know, that same exact money can be spent on doing these things kind of separately, like paying for your prescription separately and then paying for a membership. And it's like, we just don't even have that mindset around it. So that's... Nope. And so really pulling it apart is the way to, to, to start it, to start kind of getting the information you need to make a great consumer decision. Yeah. Um, instead of, because right, you're exactly right. We have been trained as consumers that we only get access to care if the insurance company tells us we can. Yeah. And and that's not true. You know, there it's an open market, God bless America, free market system, you know, and let's start exercising those rights around our healthcare too, you know, and, um, and by really taking an analytical eye to this expense, that's frequently either the second or third largest expense in, in a family. 
And um, so, yeah, pulling it apart to really look at that major medical coverage, your primary care needs, and then your um, prescription needs really can save families a lot of money. Yeah, it sounds like it. It totally makes sense. I mean, I think it's a great option. So Um, I have a blog post um, that if people are interested Um, where I basically shopped my family's health insurance uh, across the different options and did all of the math and created a Mm. spreadsheet around it. Um, That's a really good place to start because um, we really focus on healthcare consumer education and in our content. Um, And so basically it's just over in our blog, which is on Mission Direct Primary Care. And um, it's a good place to start when you start to kind of dig into this because I know it's overwhelming to think about. Um, and I work really hard to, to make it simple. <laughs> yeah, no, I love that. I think that's, yeah, let's just make it not feel so scary and complicated, right? Because I yeah. feel like people can just go for years without figuring out a better option because it just feels easier to, <laughs> to just not even have to try to figure it out. That 100%, which you just said, is a hun- is my biggest barrier in growing my business right now. Yeah. It's people's reluctance to change. Reluctance to change because they feel like it's um, too scary. Yeah. Well, I think you're doing the right thing with, with just adding these educational components and showing people that it's not and, and helping walk them through the ways the op- different options can make the most sense. So I think you're on the right track with that, I would think. <laughs> it's like the best thing to do. I mean, you've convinced me. I'm going to look into this. I guess my only thing is, I guess, and maybe it's worth touching on because most of us are female millennial entrepreneurs. So, you know, people most, I feel like a lot of, well, a lot of people in the in-person group that this podcast was kind of inspired by, um, do not have kids yet, but might want to someday. Um, and like, like me, I have one and I don't know if I'm going to have another one, you know, but I guess the only thing in thinking about this is I'd want to wait until maybe if I'm like, cause, cause there's, obviously a lot of hospital expenses yes. <laughs> that go along with having a baby. So maybe waiting until after that. And then it's like, then there will be no major expenses, you know, on the healthcare front in my family, because I don't have like, I don't, no, nobody takes prescriptions, you know, generally fairly healthy, nothing really. We nothing get the maternity can- care question a lot. And I think that, I think that's going to be an area I'm going to focus on and um, put some information out there. It is. It's crazy what um, people are being charged to have babies and how that system is not really working. Um, there's a lot of different options. And some of these, you can find insurance plans or health share plans that will cover maternity. And so, um, you know, you can certainly always shop around with that lens. There are even um, some direct primary care practices that have access to delivery. And so it will oh. be included in the membership, but they will charge a cash pay price for for delivery. There's a practice um, in a rural community here in Nebraska that does that. So there is some options around that, but just kind of planning. And then also, um, you know, finding out what the cash pay price is to lo- to, lo- to deliver at your local hospital. A lot of times it's pretty similar to what your deductible is that you would be paying on a major medical. And so having a major medical policy and then paying for, for that, but it's complicated. And I hate that people, I hear families all the time that kind of put their family growth plans aside or delay them because of the cost of having a baby. And to me, that just is really not what you should be thinking about when you're thinking about expanding your family. Yeah, it's crazy. My <laughs> my sister had this whole thing, like, 
because I mean, they have like, okay, insurance, but yeah, like a high deductible or something. So like they had, they scheduled like the year she, she has two kids, the years she had the babies, like they scheduled, like, I don't know, a knee surgery for my brother-in-law too. like anything that was going to need to be done. Like they had scheduled it all around, like having the babies because they were already going to hit that deductible or something. Yep. And I was like, wow, that's a lot of planning. Luckily our insurance is so good. I didn't have to pay a cent. Like, and we didn't even have a deductible. But that sounds abnormal um, <laughs> compared to the other people I've talked to. Yeah. So. yeah. Um, but it's expensive. So anyway, I think that's so, so helpful. And yeah, I'm going to link to the blog post that you just talked about. And if you do end up putting up more kind of educational resources about the maternal health side of things or like how to fit that stuff in, I think that would be interesting to a lot of people. Because yeah, it's bad for that to be a thing that you have to plan around or like a reason to not be signing up for like the best health, you know, what seems like the best in all other respects for your healthcare needs, planning your life around that. (laughs) But, um, yeah, I think this was such useful information. I thank you so much. I just like, is there one other thing? This is one thing I always ask people is, is there one thing that you wish you had known more about when you first began this business that you'd want to share with people? I really, So I've worked with over 200 entrepreneurs in my career as faculty in entrepreneurship programs. And I always told them, you know, it's going to take twice as long and cost twice as much. Mm. (laughs) And so I knew that notionally, and it certainly um, played out in practice. Um, But also, I think the thing that caught me the most off guard is I was shocked at how my competition isn't other healthcare facilities or even other um, direct primary care practices. It's that um, inaction that people have, that unwillingness to change what they're currently doing because of either fear or um, just stasis or kind of not wanting to try something new and different. And that's been my, that's a, the biggest challenge around growing this business. And I um, would think that would probably hold with any company that's tr- just trying to innovate in a real established industry. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's what's caught me off guard the most has just been that, you know, that static um, consumer behavior. Yeah, that makes sense. I thought everybody would be analytical and that you would lay out the value proposition and they would see the value and that's not true. <laughs> and that might depend a little bit too on like on your audience base. Like I feel like, you know, other entrepreneurs, cause I know you said that's like part, part of where your passion lies. Like if you end up marketing more to other entrepreneurs and like people who kind of like business owners who are like maybe have more of that analytical mindset and are used to approaching things in that way, it might be a little different than, you know, just any general family off the street who maybe are like less in that mindset kind of. And obviously you have to. You have actually, to yeah, that's a, that really holds true to what I've seen too. People who are just used to doing things and thinking independently are the ones who have been more, you know, kind of our early adopters. Hmm. Cool. Um, okay. So is there one other, any other piece of advice that you'd want to share with other entrepreneurs? Just keep pushing the ball. That's what I tell myself every day. You know, you just get up and do what you love and be happy that you have the opportunity to do it. Yeah, that's, it's such a gift, I think, that we can um, build these businesses and serve people we want to serve and that we have the freedom to do that. And I always try and keep that perspective because it's hard. It's really, really hard work to be an entrepreneur and to to, um, grow your own company. But I try and look at it more as a gift than, than looking at all of the um, 
work that goes into it. Yes. That's so, so true. I like that. Okay. Um, well, thank you so much for coming on and explaining all of this to us. I'm really, I'm like literally as soon as we get off of here, I'm going to Google it a little more and see what other options are near me. Cause as I said, I think I had seen that one, um, direct care place, but I wonder if there are others or if I, I just want to do more research into it now. It's DPC frontier is the, um, they've got a mapper that has all of the practices across the country. So I'll, I'll email yeah. that to you so that you can put that in the show notes. Yeah. Yeah. I'll share that and any other resources that you have. Um, and yeah, tell people where just, I know you mentioned it before, but tell us your website, um, any other ways that people can find and follow you or reach out if they have either questions about, you know, a model like this or health insurance or healthcare, or also just like the entrepreneurial side of things, like how you've built the business, any, any ways people can connect with you. Sure. Do you want me to say that now? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> or put that in an email. Sorry. No, no, no. Tell us right now. So while people are listening, they can um, go follow you right after this. Sure. Yeah. So um, I am, so our practice is really active on social media. We are on Facebook and Instagram at mission direct primary care. And then also on LinkedIn, we post a lot of um, LinkedIn is where we post a lot of our kind of industry insights and, you know, and, and how the health industry needs to change. Whereas Instagram and Facebook are more consumer focused. Um, we also have a blog where we uh, consolidate all of this information about how you can be a better healthcare consumer on our website. Um, and you can link in with me directly on LinkedIn, um, Elizabeth Halpern. And is it Mission Direct Primary Care on like Instagram and Facebook? It is, yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay, awesome. Care. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, it's been really, really good. All right, well, I'll talk to you soon. Okay, thank you very much. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe to the Female Millennial Entrepreneur Podcast so you won't miss the next episode and leave a review on iTunes with your favorite takeaway from this episode. Also, don't be shy to get in touch with me or anyone you heard on the show. We're all about connecting and our Instagram handles and other links are always in the show notes and we're always happy to hear from you with thoughts, ideas, or even suggestions of someone you'd love to hear me talk to on the show. You can also submit guests online at polinapr.com slash podcast. Lastly, please drop a comment on the post for this episode on the podcast Instagram at Female Millennial Entrepreneurs to let me know you listened. Tune in next time.